This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Rocky Pap. Rocky grew up playing baseball and football at a high level before getting his career started in sales. Rocky has 20 plus years experience in technology sales as a rep, a builder, and leader of teams. Rocky is currently the CRO of Filter.ai, where they are reinventing technical hiring. Here he is, Rocky Pap. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing, Rocky? I'm doing well, Jared. How about you? It's good to see your face. Good to see you, man. Thanks for being on the show. I'm, I'm pumped to have you. I know this is going to be an awesome conversation. So um, I'm not sure if you've heard any episodes, but um, our audience is really like new sellers and people who are considering a career shift into sales. Um, and we, we spend every day really helping athletes transition into sales careers. That's our entire business model. So our podcast guests are always former athletes who've, who've gone on to, found, to find success in sales. And we like to start athletic career, then we go into um, the transition, and then we talk about you know selling in general. So um, I love to t- start with a really broad question because I, I know it brings up a lot of great memories for me, but like, can you tell me if I ask you, what are your favorite memories of playing sports? What's, what's the first thing that pops in your head? Yeah. You know, the, the first thing that pops in my head is, uh, you know, I'm a varsity football player. So I, you know, I, I, w- I started both ways, uh, you know, junior and senior year. And, uh, my, my little brother, uh, he was five years younger than me. And, uh, I mean, my family was all, you know, sports fanatics. I started playing, playing sports when I was eight. And, you know, even today I still, I still play sports. Uh, but I remember, you know, I'm, I'm playing quarterback on the sidelines and my little brother is wearing my jersey and he's our water guy. Uh, you know, so he's, you know, he's running out in the field and, you know, trying to help, you know, help everybody out with, um, you know, with getting, getting refreshed, you know, you know, at timeouts and everything. But it was just, you know, that's like one of my favorite memories. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'd say another memory I have is it's my favorite, but it's also it's not a, it's not necessarily like a, a happy memory. Uh, is uh, my Colt team in baseball. We were one win away from the Colt, uh, Colt World Series. And we played in like five, five or six tournaments to get to that, you know, to that stage. Uh, and we were in the, uh, in the final game. And, and if I remember correctly, I think we were the, uh, we were the, uh, uh, the underdog team. So, you know, came through the consolation bracket and we were playing Corona. Uh, we beat Corona in game one. So then it's like, a, you know, winner takes all. It's like the bottom of the seventh, which is basically the bottom of the ninth. And we're up, we're up a run, two outs. Uh, there's a guy on second, and there it's a it's a, a two a o two count or a one two count. And one of my good buddies was a, was a great pitcher. He had this incredible curveball. He throws this perfect curveball, easily a strike, right? And the umpire misses it because the curveball was so good. Calls it a ball. Oh, Everyone's God. freaking out, you know, because we, we we had just we thought we had just won the game and we're going to the you know we're going to the Colt, the Colt the Colt League World Series, and then the next pitch he throws a fastball and the dude hits it out of the park to win the game. So it was like it was just uh, you know, but I would say the thing the reason why I like it as a memory because it's it's one of those things about sports, right? Because you could say, hey, you know, your best memory is oh we won this championship or we won this playoff game, but 
to me, uh, it's one of my favorite memories because it's like, hey, you know, you lost that game. You, the journey was amazing. And I still remember a lot of those <clears throat> experiences. But, you know, I wake up the next day and then I can go out and practice and I can get better or, you know, you can, you, you, there's always another game, right? So that's uh, certainly one of my, my favorite memories. Probably not, a, you know, not a positive, <laughs> but I wish we would have won the game and, you know, it would have been a great experience to go on to the World Series. But, uh, you know, it's something that definitely sticks out in my mind is, uh, I would say, a building ex- experience for me as a, as a human being in general. I think that's maybe my favorite answer we've ever gotten because Rocky people always ask me, why do you think like what JR number one reason that athletes succeed in sales? And I, my answer is always the same. It's because they know they, they learn to lose. They have like resiliency, right? It's, it's like exactly what you said. You lose a game, you get cut, you get injured, you're back in the gym the next day, no matter what. And, And that's a muscle that you have to work on. Right. Um, and nowadays, sports is really the only place that you can lose at, at a young age. It's, it's true. Yeah. Well, participation trophies and all, all that stuff. Yeah. It's a lot. Uh, it's a different world for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, it translates to sales too. I mean, a lot of times, uh, you know, you'll have an account executive or BDR that's having a tough week or, you know, maybe has had a tough quarter. Uh, and then it's like, hey, you know, Hall of Fame baseball players that, you know, they, they strike out, you know, like they struck out like 30 percent of the time they got to the plate or, you know, the best, the best, you know, 60 percent of the time they failed, you know, 400 hitters like you're amazing. So, yeah. you know, you don't have to you don't have to knock out of the park every time. It's about consistency and it's about, you know, just you know hitting the right metrics and you, you can still have a, you know, have a great career. So I, I love the connection between sales and, and sports. I think it's, it's a direct connection. Absolutely. What, what, what do you think? Uh, how do you think your former teammates would describe you, Rocky? Oh, man. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think they would describe me as intense and and fun. I don't know. You know what I mean? Uh, so, I, you know, I always worked really hard and we're on the field and, uh, you know, it's game time. Like, I, you know, I was a quarterback. So, you know, it was my job to, to the, be the leader in the huddle, for example, right? Or after a bad play, pick the team up. Uh, you know, when someone's not, you know, have, if they're missing their assignment, you know, telling them, hey, you know, you missed your assignment. You just got you just got me sacked in the in the backfield or you just got a running back blown up. So uh, I would say I was intense in the huddle uh, and when, when it was work time. I was very serious and I, t- I took it seriously. Uh, but when, the, you know, the whistle's dead, I'm, I'm cracking jokes and, you know, in the huddle or, you know, I'm, I'm playing pranks in the locker room. So I would say probably intense plus, uh, you know, with a mix of a pretty good sense of humor. That's good. You, you don't typically like the intensity and the locker room guy don't come together. So it's always good when you see that. Um, do you have any any favorite teammates that, that you remember fondly? Yeah, yeah absolutely. My, my favorite teammate of all time was my best friend. His name is John King. Uh, you know, we played Little League together. All the, you know, we, essentially we started playing uh, Little League when we were 10 years old. And then we played all the way through high school in uh, especially uh, baseball and football. Uh, so in football, he was my center. Uh, you know, it's when I was a quarterback. So we got to know each other very intimately. Very well. If you understand how that works. Uh, yeah. And then uh, uh, he was also a catcher and I was a pitcher, uh, you know, for a lot, you know, actually most of my career, I pitched all the way through high school too. So, uh, you know, I'd so say we, we had a lot of, you know, a lot of time bonding together. And then, you know, outside of, outside of sports, we're also all best, best buds. So, you know, easily my best, my, 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 my favorite teammate. Yeah, that that connection is it's like pitcher and catcher, quarterback and center. You, you just you know each other so well. That's awesome. I love yeah. it. And it's good we we liked each other because you know he couldn't get away from me. <laughs> I couldn't get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Um, so so Rocky, how did you how did you find your way to sales? Like I, I tripped and fell into it. You know, I was thinking about being a lawyer and 
couple other things. Were there were there other career paths that you explored? Yeah, you know what? I I would say I tripped into it, or I was almost forced into it. That's I would say it's probably more <laughs> or coerced into it. Uh, it's probably a, a you know a better way to describe it. Uh, you know, so I you know I played you know played sports through high school, and you know I was uh, I was all league in, in football and baseball. I had offers to play in college. Uh, and instead, I decided to, you know, um, you know, frankly, you know, pursue a girlfriend and, uh, and, you know, go to the college that she went to. And then I decided I wanted a business career. So I enrolled at Santa Clara University uh, in the business school. And I honestly, I thought I was going to be an accountant or like, a, you know, a finance, a finance person, you know, like working on Wall Street or I don't know, you know, something along yeah. those lines. So I graduated with a finance degree. Uh, I took a bunch of accounting classes. You know, essentially, I was like one one class short of having a double major in accounting and finance. Uh, and then, I, it, while I was in school, I was taking internships at uh, at a lot of tech companies in the Bay Area. So, Applied Materials, Sanmina, uh, and then a lot of my friends were you know going back and back then into the Big Five. And I found uh, during those internships that I just I hated sitting at a cubicle, uh, you know, closing books and you know you know doing the balance sheets and you know just basically just being a you know a data entry person. Um, and so I ended up taking a, uh, a an internship at a mortgage company because uh, I had a friend that worked there, and you know she said it was a really great environment. So I took a job as a receptionist, essentially answering phones and doing customer surveys. And then over time, I started you know kind of progressing up to a point where I was doing more uh, like account management work, you know, working with our with our customers and supporting the outside account executives. So we had a bunch of field reps. Uh, you know, and they were they were literally like door to door sales. You know, they're you know walking up, and it was more broker to broker. We weren't they weren't doing you know house calls. We were I worked for a mortgage bank. Got it. And, Got it. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed that you know that job quite a bit. And then one of the fields uh, reps quit, and the sales manager at the time was like, "Rocky, you're getting promoted to be an account executive." And I was like, no, man, I'm like, I'm very, I'm very happy, you know, at the office here, you know, I just, I got my computer at my desk, my desk phone, and I, you know, I don't have to drive around. It's, you know, in, in, in that job, it was 100% commission. So, you know, he's like, you're going to be an account executive. I'm like, like, bro, like, <laughs> you're going to tell me I'm going from a base pay to like no, no money at all, unless I go, you know, sell stuff. He's like, I promise you're going to do good at it. You have to do it. So he, he coerced me for like, I was like a month. Uh, and then eventually I was like, you know what, uh, it's an opportunity for me to try this out. I think I can do it. And so I went for it and, you know, immediately I love the experience, uh, you know, the idea of being able to make unlimited income and, uh, you know, kind of control your own destiny. And, you know, I really caught the bug for, you know, talking to customers live and uh, solving, you know, solving real problems. Uh, it, it ended up being a lot more fun than I anticipated. And, uh, you know, that pressure of, uh, I mean, I, I, candidly, the pressure of that quota it kind of felt like a sports environment where, you know, the, the clock is ticking and, you know, you got to you got to make something happen. So I essentially, yeah, I was coerced into it and, and uh, I never looked back once uh, once I was uh, given that opportunity. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, to be honest, like I remember when I when, when I was a VP of sales and a CRO, like if if I, if I interviewed a kid who worked in a 100 percent commission job, I knew that he was going to be a beast. He or she was going to be an absolute beast. That's like, that's such a good way to learn. It is definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's stressful, but, uh, it, you know, it's, there was, there was a couple months where I made nothing and that's an eye opener too, right? It's like, well, you look yourself in the mirror and say, did I work as hard as I could have, you know? And, you know, sometimes the answer is no. And so you can only blame yourself if you're, if you're not, if you're not achieving in that, in that scenario. So it was a good, a really good learning experience for me. 
coming from that like almost double major, you must have you must have had some like really good product knowledge. I bet that helped you a lot early on in that in that career, right? Yeah, that was actually that was the thing that that really uh, the reason why my the sales manager asked me uh, to take on the job is he's like, you know, the product better than anyone in this company, uh, apart from you know like like our COO and you know some of the folks on the underwriting team. Uh, and he's like, you you will you will do well because you know the product inside and out. So uh, you know it was viewed as an asset the fact that I did know that. I would say early on I leaned on it too heavily and it, you know I was sort of like a robot coming yeah, in and yeah. when I was you know just spewing facts and, and people would just their eyes would would glaze over. Uh, he <laughs> set me down. I had a great manager, uh, my first sales manager. His name was Ara Rodich, and uh, you know he sat me down and he's like, "Listen, okay, I I was right. You do know the product a lot, oh, quite a bit." He's like, but you need to talk to people like they're human beings because you're just like a robot right now. And, uh, you know, that was something that I learned early on is just try to talk to people like you would talk to your you know, family member or, or your best friend. Uh, and that, that really changed. Uh, it changed the trajectory for me. As soon as yeah. I learned, you don't have to you know, spew out a bunch of facts. It's more about asking questions and, and kind of solving problems. Then, uh, you know, that, that, changed the, that changed the game for me quite a bit. I think we see that with a lot of uh, a lot of salespeople don't really they don't really find success until they I call it like finding your sales voice. It's like, you know, sometimes early BDRs, you hear them on the phone, you see them on the sales floor talking to their friends and then you hear them on the phone and it might as well be two different people. And it's like, hey, you got to be authentic. Like that is so critically important if this if you're going to have success because people can smell that when, when you're not being yourself. Absolutely. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Yep. hundred um, percent. I'm actually excited to get your answer on this because you, you've, you've had a good track record of picking companies and you know, the, our, the way our process works is kids come through the training, they get access to multiple companies. They usually candidly get multiple offers. Um, and you know, not to be the old guy yelling at clouds, but Gen Z really big on, you know, I want a high base salary, but I also want like remote work or work life balance. And, you know, there's, there's all these things that they're considering, but like from someone like you, that's been doing this a long time, you got a young kid who's got multiple offers. What are, what are some of the boxes that you're telling them? Like, Hey, make sure it checks this, or, you know, this is what you need to be thinking about or feeling when you're about to accept an offer. And this is how you should choose a company. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I, 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 at some point in my career, I created you know like a rubric, and there's like six or seven things in it. Uh, you know, and some of them are just baseline. Like, is this company actually going to exist in six months to twelve months from now? Uh, and there's various things you can ask in the you know in the process where you'll get a good feel for financial stability of the company. What is the um, you know like how many AEs have left in the last six months? What does the turnover look like? So I would just say in general. You know, you don't want to you don't want to go in blind. You want to know and have a pretty good understanding of you know does this company exist. Second part is just culture of the company. Uh, you know, and what I found in my career is that company culture varies pretty dramatically. You know, you know some companies are very very uh, very hardcore boiler room, especially if you're going into sales, or very hardcore boiler room. Uh, you know, um, like hard driving, you know, almost you know I'd say an, an aggressive sales environment. On the other side, there's you know the companies that have a very you know less less uh, less hardcore environment. They're more team collaborative oriented, and it's less about the number. It's more about um, collaboration, and, and you know I guess that's one way to describe it. So, and I think both environments you, you can th- and thrive in those, uh, just depending upon what you're looking for. So I would say you know it's important to kind of understand those things. 
And then uh, probably the most important thing to me is what do I think I'm going to learn or what, what, can I, what kind of knowledge can I acquire that's different uh, in this opportunity versus that? And then how is that going to translate to where I want to go in my, in my future? Uh, you know, and sometimes that's a particular manager, you know, someone who's got specific skills or experience that, uh, that you don't have that maybe you think that you can acquire, you can learn from that person. Uh, it could also be that the product itself is a product category that you think you're very, very interested in and you want to explore. But I think one of the key components is when you go into a role, you should have a, a really good understanding in your brain on what you anticipate to gain from that particular experience apart from money, uh, you know, and, and uh, I, I think, you know, money is, it doesn't last. But you can make a ton of money, but if you hate the environment and you're not learning anything, you're probably not going to be fulfilled and not want to stay there very long. And then uh, the, only, the only other thing I would consider is just the uh, opportunity for advancement. Because, you know, some companies have very, very strict requirements on how long people need to be in a specific role before they can, you know, move on into the, you know, the next role. One of the things that I was very fortunate in my career is, you know, I, I joined a company called Box.net, which then turned into Box. Uh, and the company had a really strong philosophy of promoting from within. And it also had a very strong philosophy of, of, of performance dictates promotion versus experience. So, you know, I was able to get in and uh, I, was, I, was, I was promoted, I think, four or five times in like a six and a half year span. Uh, you know, certainly a lot of people gave me opportunities, but it also was a philosophy. The company was saying, we want to bet on our, our people and we're going we're gonna to highlight performance uh, and character above experience. So those are some of the things that I would think about as I head into a new opportunity. Yeah, those are the those are the companies that if you can find them, you you just you run you run you don't walk to the opportunity. Like yeah. you know, that's what happened to me at Turbonomic. And when you look at those companies and you look ten years ahead, those folks that that went there and did what you did and what I did at Turbo, those are the future VPs of sales and CROs because you're 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 basically a over your skis in every role you have, but you're earning it, right? It, it's a meritocracy. So you, you, you got there um, and, it, and it, it just pays off in the long run, I think. But to your point, you got to have some self-awareness, right? Like it's hard. People always argue with me over a big company versus small company. And I say, it, I always say it depends. It depends on the kid. It depends on the, the candidate, right? Some people need to sit in a classroom for two months before they get on a phone. I wouldn't be that type of person. Like give me, give me the phone and the website let me try to figure it out myself. That's how I, I need to work. But everybody's different. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Some some of the best, uh, some of the, I would say, you know, some of the best, uh, you know, uh, account executives I've worked with, uh, they kind of come from two camps. Uh, I mean, there's the camp that, that you're describing where it's more of a you know, early stage, you joined an early stage company, you were there for a few years and you kind of cut your teeth and learned, learned a lot in that environment. Uh, but I've also worked with a lot of, uh, a lot of folks that make the transition from like Salesforce or Oracle yeah, yeah. or, you know, I even had a, a really good friend who was who worked at Xerox uh, for a couple couple years and got incredible sales training. I've had some folks that I uh, work with that were at Cisco for one or two years. Um, so I, I agree with you. I don't I don't think it's a one size fits all. And uh, you know, there's there's advantages in some cases for working for those large companies if you can if you can fit in that environment because uh, they're going to invest with standardized training and you know there's going to be a, a, a different it's a different experience, but that doesn't mean it's a bad experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing you said about was like, think about what you can learn in, in the opportunity. And, and I think a big part of that is your hiring manager, right? So I, I'm curious to know, like, do you have a favorite question that a candidate can ask a hiring manager to figure out if, if it's a good fit? 
Yeah, I would say uh, yeah, my favorite questions are always ones that are so, uh, somewhat scenario based because uh, it's a little bit harder to just give a canned answer. So, you know, something would be along the lines of, you know, you present, uh, you present, present a circumstance and then you ask them how they would handle it. And then you might ask a follow-up layered question and you know, maybe change the scenario slightly, right? So uh, it would be something if I'm a candidate who's like, hey, you know, uh, JR, give me an example of where, you know, someone on your team wasn't, wasn't, uh, didn't hit their quarter. Uh, and then, you know, how do you, how do, how do you, how do you handle that? Right. So maybe that's not the perfect question, but it's an example where you yeah. give them a real world scenario. You see what kind of answer they have. You, you see if it's an authentic answer, see if you like the answer. Uh, and then, you know, I, I would just say in general, I think scenario based questions that are a little more open ended will will give you more more than just saying, hey, uh, would you fire someone if they missed their quarter? I mean, I can answer that question with a yes, like a, a quick no, right. you know, likely not, you know, but that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't tell you much. Right. So that just tells me tells you that yeah, in this moment, I'm thinking no. But, you know, it doesn't tell you much about my thought process. I, I also think that's a, first of all, phenomenal example, because. If you ask a question like that and you're an early, you're an entry level salesperson, you're showing some pretty good sales acumen there too. Like that's just a phenomenal sales question in general, you know what I mean? Or a phenomenal approach to asking a question. Um, so it goes both ways. It makes you look good and it gets you some information that you need to make your decision. Um, so Rocky, you and I have both we we both sold through 2008, right? And uh, you know, things are looking <laughs> similar. Um, yeah, we'll see, but it's early, but I, I do think 2023 is going to be different, right? Um, you're looking at, uh, you're at a new company and you're bringing in salespeople. If you had to pick a couple of areas of focus that are going to really separate the best reps from the pack in an environment like this, what, 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 what are those, what are those focus areas? Yeah, uh, and I think what it comes down to is probably probably three things, uh, and, I, and I think this is relevant regardless of the you know economic environment. But I think you know uh, what do they say? You know, the, uh, in, in these economic environments, the you know the water recedes, and you can start to see you kind of see the the crud at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, you know, so when when everyone's doing well, you know, money is free flowing, uh, then buyers are more likely to take a chance on buying something, right? Or they're more likely to experiment. Uh, or you know they might have so much money that they're just you know they're, they're just trying to find ways to spend it to uh, to, to accomplish things. Uh, in a tough economic environment, you know everything just gets way more scrutiny, uh, and so that you know the nice to haves become the don't want to haves, and you know the need the need to have or you know business critical stuff is really only thing that gets through. Uh, and so you know one of the things you need to think about as a seller is you know when you're qualifying in a candidate uh, a prospect. Like, don't waste your time in an area where it's pretty clear that what you're delivering is not going to be business critical, right? So a lot of it has to do with who you're talking to, right? Uh, a lot of it has to do with asking the right kind of questions to make sure you're, you're, you're finding enough the pain is actually acute or if it's more, uh, you know, I guess benign. You know, maybe it's painful, but is it painful enough for someone to actually spend money on? Because the economic environment now is going to change the way that that sales process will go uh, dramatically. Uh, and I would say... Yeah, even in the, in this economic environment, you know your competitors are going to be extra hungry, right? So you got to know your your competitors uh, probably better than you would, you know, in general. Uh, and then uh, that's the other thing is I, I think research and personalization are always always important. Uh, but you know the folks that are going to win in this market, and I'd say again, this I think these 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 apply to you know any market, but they're extremely important now. Is if you show up to meetings and you haven't done your research. You know, you're not going to you're not going to get the same kind of opportunity you would have before. 
So I think, you know, do your research, uh, you know, qualify, qualify diligently and get to know your marketing and your, and your competitors because, you know, it's a, you know, it's a lot more competitive. It's like the playoffs versus a regular season game. You know, it's just a little more intense. Yep. Yep. Voracious qualification is critical. And I do think like, you really need to find the biggest business problem and like find a way to align your solution to that problem. And some, you got you, sometimes you got to get creative, but you've got to be tied to those big business problems because everything else is like, we'll do it. We'll do it eventually, but not right now. Yeah. The, only, the last thing I would add though, is I, I also think discretionary spending or spending below certain, uh, you know, certain uh, title lines is different now. You know, because in the in the past, you know, you might be able to get you know someone with like a senior manager title or even a manager. They can go out and buy you know could buy some things. Uh, and, you know, the CFO kind of assigned budget and maybe didn't you know didn't review them. Uh, but you know, in this environment now, there could be you know ten thousand dollars spends or fifteen thousand dollars spends where a CFO is still reviewing. Uh, and I know for a fact with our customers, uh, you know, and even um, other companies that I that I interact with from a consulting standpoint. I mean, they're looking at their budgets weekly, monthly. And they're 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 looking at every line item and saying, do we need this or you know, or can we get rid of it? So uh, what what I what that mean by that is you know the, the higher up in the power line and the decision making authority you can get in the sales process, especially early, the better off you're going to be. So you're not you know qualifying in an opportunity, and then you know you find out three months later that the CFO says, I'm sorry, you know I, that, that's not something that's important to me. So uh, get up get up higher in the power line as fast as you can. Totally. I I actually think in, in most cases, unless you're selling something like really, really low cost, most likely your economic buyer is probably the CFO this year mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Yeah. So really good advice there. Um, I Box. So I've heard some awesome stories. Obviously, we have some friends in common at Box. Um, I, that was you guys had an awesome run. What, what was that? What was that run like for you guys? I mean, to, to this day, I can't, I can't, uh, I've never found a company that could replicate the type of culture that we had. I've gotten close, you know, there's been a, a few startups that I've had that have very similar characteristics. Uh, but I would say, you know, it was, it was really a, a very young junior group of folks, especially at the beginning, uh, that just had this incredible camaraderie and, uh, teamwork. Uh, and so, you know, actually in, in this case, there was a lot of ex athletes and there was also a lot of not, not, not ex athletes. Uh, but we just gelled together incredibly well. It was a very uh, rich environment for sharing of information. You know, it was it wasn't like people were you know hiding their work at their desk. It was you know it was it was an open floor plan, and we had a small office. Uh, you know, so it's like a bullpen style where you know I'm on the phone. I've got three guys next to me in a hallway, and uh, you know there's there's uh, three girls, the three or uh, three or four ladies across uh, straight in front of me, and they're on the phones too. So we're hearing each other. And, uh, you know, you hang up the phone and you're like, hey, how did that sound? It's like, oh, I think you could have done this better. Or, you know, when someone's in a really great pitch, everyone everyone pauses and they're listening to see if they can pick up anything, right? And then, uh, you know, in team meetings, we're talking about, hey, this worked or this didn't work. And then, you know, after work, we were going to happy hour and hanging out. And, you know, we played softball together after work and, you know, basketball and stuff like that. So it was just it was just more of like a, like a team uh, than it was a, a job. And I uh, just had an incredible, you know, incredible time, you know, still, you know, lifelong friends, uh, people that I worked with there. 
Oh, totally. That's what that type of experience creates is just a, a connection. It's like shared, shared experience, right? Because it's as, as fun as it was, it's not easy when you're when you're a young company and you're you're growing, you're growing quickly and disrupting a big market like you guys were. Um, and, and I love the I call it learning through osmosis. That's what that open that open sales floor does, right? You don't see that in remote in remote worlds anymore. I, I miss that so much. It's the buzz of the sales floor. Yeah. The other thing I would add is, you know, we also had a, you know, a couple folks uh, at the company that were senior and had, you know, had been through, uh, you know, some similar experiences before. So, you know, they were able to harness the energy of, you know, kind of the, the, the folks coming up and then, uh, you know, kind of directing and being very, very collaborative, very open. Uh, and, you know, frankly, it just taught us a ton. So uh, it was an incredible experience. It's hard to replicate. It would be hard to replicate that exact scenario again, I think. You can't, you cannot undersell the value of, of great leadership, right? And, you know, you, you've been selling for two decades and, and you know, you, you, you've had a lot of great leaders, right? I've, I've had a lot of great leaders. I've had some like less effective leaders. Um, and now you've been running your own teams. Like f- from your perspective, what, what does, what does great sales, sales leadership look like in your opinion? Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll cite a couple examples of, of folks that taught me, you know, taught me uh, some things that I valued and, you know, things that I try to replicate. You know, so Jerry Clarno uh, was my, my first uh, manager in software as a service when I was at Success Factors. I worked for him at Box. Uh, and then I worked for her, uh, him again at Periscope Data. Uh, we, and we're still, you know, we still are uh, very good friends. Uh, Jim Herbold was also my VP of sales at Box. And, uh, you know, he was there, I think, you know, like, like 1 million all the way to 100 million. So, you know, he saw the whole thing uh, and it eventually ended up becoming my neighbor. So, you know, <laughs> so Jim even today. Um, but the thing that I always appreciated about them that I try to replicate is uh, is honesty, you know, and, and taking ownership if, if they made a mistake. Uh, you know, so um, the a part of it would be, hey, we're about to make this this it, I, like the third thing I would say is leading with data. So it wouldn't just be like, a, hey, this is it's our way or the highway. It was more like, you know, I have to make this decision because I think this is what's best for the business. Here are the factors that I, you know, that I uh, that I use to weigh in to you know make that decision. Uh, here are the alternatives that I, you know, that we may have looked at, and this is the course that we're going to be on now. It doesn't mean it's the course forever, but this is the course we've chosen. And so, as a team, you know, I want you to get on board with it, and then you know, give, give an opportunity to ask questions. Right. So uh, and then, you know, sometimes those things worked out and sometimes they didn't. Uh, but, you know, Jim in particular would be like, like, oh, man, that that didn't work. You know, we just tried that for the last 90 days. Here's a bunch of data that says you know that was worse than what we did before. So now we're going to try this other thing or we're going to go back to this other thing. So it's kind of a combination of, you know, honesty, transparency uh, and flexibility. So it, it was never like, um, you know, like I'm always the smartest person. I know what every, everything that's going on. It was more like, you know, based on the data I have, you know, here's here's where I'm going to go. Uh, the other thing that I would say about both of uh, both of those gentlemen uh, was that they were very good at soliciting feedback from um, lots of different parts of the business. So they didn't they didn't operate in silos, right? If they had ideas, they would you know ask a few people like, hey, what do you think if we do this, or you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? So they would they would really kind of um, uh, I would say you know grab all the ingredients before they made you know before they made the uh, made the the recipe, and I'd say overall I think that leads to better decision making. So that's that's what I try to emulate is that type of strategy. Yeah, yeah, and and you've had obviously you've been building teams now. Um, so like as a leader, when when you go out and you're you're building an organization, how, how are you thinking about like recruiting and hiring? Like 
what we would call A players? Like, what, what's the thought process there? Yeah, so um, you know, I, I, I mean, over the years, I've kind of I've come up with four or five characteristics that I think you know that I'm always looking for, in, in regardless of where they're you know when someone's getting hired into the organization. Uh, and so I'm testing for those types of things uh, in interviews. Uh, you know, things like uh, creativity, work ethic, drive, uh, adaptability, coachability. Uh, because I'd say, you know, uh, even the very, very best account executives, folks that have had many, many, many years of success, they don't just implement one playbook that they did 10 years ago, right? They're incorporating, you know, new, new styles. They're incorporating new technology. You know, they're using, they're using video now, for example, or maybe they weren't doing that 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, they're recording looms or, you know, they're doing their own side webcasts. You know, they're just they, they're innovating and they're, you know, they're always changing and adapting to the environment. So uh, but to me, it's, it's a lot about it's a lot about that. It's about the creativity and the drive and then the willingness to, uh, you know, to get better. So in interview processes, that's a lot of what I'm asking questions around is like, you know, give me an example of when you failed and what did you learn from it? You know, and what did you do differently the next time? Or, you know, talk to me about some of your best successes and not just what the success was, but why did that success happen? Uh, and so I'm looking for more introspective, like deep layer thinking around uh, what outcomes were, why do those outcomes happen? And then uh, what can you do differently to impact what those outcomes would be in the future? Yeah. And, and I think nowadays that adaptability is even more important than it ever was because things seem to be changing a lot faster than they used to change, right? Like, yeah. you, you know, we would... We would meet yearly and say, "Okay, what are we going to do this year?" Now it's like you almost got to you almost got to look at your strategy on a month to month basis and be like, "Where where's the improvements need to be? What do, what do we do need to do differently here?" So that that's probably getting more and more important yeah. than it ever has before. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, even you know, even five years ago when you're at a company that's growing really fast, uh, I mean, you're you're if you're doubling the size of your company every year. At that stage, that means you're implementing new segmentation, you're chasing new markets, uh, you know, in SaaS, you're building new products, you're adding new functionality, you have new competitors now, especially uh, that can really yeah. show up overnight because it's so much easier to, you know, spin up an Amazon account and, you know, uh, and, you know, build the UI and kind of copy some of the competitors, uh, at least from the messaging standpoint. So, yeah, you have to be extremely adaptable uh, in order to succeed, I think, nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned, you know, Art and Jerry already, so I won't ask that question again. Any other, any other mentors that 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 you would want to shout out? Yeah, that have influenced yeah. your career. Megan Rhodes is, uh, I would say, you know, one of the. She was my. This is when I was at the mortgage bank. Megan was my uh, my one of my managers, and she was essentially COO and you know, uh, and like uh, president ish or you know, COO of the company. And uh, what I enjoyed about Megan was just, the, you know, she cared a lot about her people. She had a ton of empathy, uh, but she was also like a no BS type of person. Right. So, you know, you know we, we had a lot of younger, you know, uh, fresh out of college kids there and they'd kind of come in with, you know, stories about why they were late or whatever. And she would just she wouldn't <laughs> have it. Right. So she was very, you know, she was very cut and dry in that regard. Uh, and then uh, she promoted what I would call a learning environment. Right. So, uh, you know, first day on the job, everyone gets a notebook and it's a fresh notebook and she hands it to you and, you know, kind of gives you the speech, same speech to everyone. Uh, she's like, you can come into my office. It's an open door. You can come in here and ask me a question any time of day, whenever you need to, you know, whenever you need to get a question. She's like, but I will not answer unless you have your notebook. All right. So, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, but I expect you to, to try to, you know, retain that information. Uh, and then she would even say, you know, you can come back and, and ask me the same question as long as you have your, your notebook and you can tell me what I told you last time. 
Right. So yeah, yeah. it just, it teaches you this, this idea of, you know, it's not like a free information machine. Uh, you know, we're here to learn and we're here to retain uh, and not, not to waste time. Um, so that was, a, you know, a big, a big uh, learning moment for me. And then uh, she also promoted the idea of just like constant research. Right. So, you know, it, it would be like, I would ask her a question and she would say, you know, I know the answer, uh, but you know what, I want you to go, you know, and here's a resource for you to go check it out and tell me if you can come up with that answer. And if not, then come back. Right. So it really taught me this idea of, you know, of self-motivation and this idea that, uh, you know, you can you can find things on your own. You don't necessarily need to, uh, you know, to lean on one particular person to get answers to everything. I mean, she taught you how to fish. Like yeah, you can't absolutely. beat that. Yeah. That's great leadership. That's amazing. Um, let's do a, I want to actually, I want to learn about this a little bit. So this is your, it's a, and it's a good commercial for you. So you're, you're, you're at your new gig. I want to hear like, what, what gets you, what made you so excited about joining the filter.ai team? I'm, I'm really pumped to hear about this. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, the three factors, uh, you kind of, you know, back to what I was talking about with, uh, why, you know, why I choose companies, uh, you know, one is. I think I can learn from the team uh, that's there. It's a it's a senior it's a senior group of folks. Uh, Dan Finnegan is the you know the CEO. Uh, he was the CEO at uh, at Jobvite for like ten years. You know he was a very wow. very successful CEO. They went from something like ten employees to uh, you know to eighty million and had a successful exit. So he's not a first time founder. I've mostly worked with first time founders. Uh, not that that's bad. It's just, uh, it's just, that's what I've experienced. So I was like, Hey, you know, I think it'll be interesting to work with someone who's, you know, really been through this before, uh, you know, the full, the full playbook. Uh, and then he also has a really interesting, interesting background. He was, uh, he was a reporter, uh, before. So, you know, his, his, the way he thinks and the way, you know, the way he researches things is very different than what I'm, you know, I'm used to interacting with. Uh, so I was really excited to work with Dan. Uh, and then there's, there's folks on the team that are also, uh, um, pretty senior that I feel like I could, I could learn something from. So that was a big one. Second part of it really was just the idea and the concept behind uh, filtered is something that is just near and dear to my heart, which is the uh, idea of skill based hiring. You know, so one of the things that I'm a big proponent of uh, in the interview process is to not just do you know a resume review and not just do a you know a couple baseline you know conversations, but actually implement a part of your interview process where you're testing someone based on skills. And so the way that that shows up for me uh, on the sales team for BDRs and for account executives is we have a specific stage where uh, you know the account executive comes in and they do a mock demonstration or a mock discovery call, and we make it easy where you know essentially they they build the, the criteria uh, and then they come in and we pretend to be their buyers. And there's two things I'm you know I'm testing for is you know uh, do they actually have good discovery notes that they can feed me because it's literally I tell them you know give me your best you know your best case discovery scenario. Uh, and you'd be surprised, you know, sometimes candidates come in and they give you like two bullets and they're like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, jump into this thing. It's like, this is like an open book test. I just told you, you know, to get, so the, the best candidates come in and, you know, they have like a couple paragraphs, you know, key value points and stuff like that. But then, uh, you know, in that, in that experience, you get to see, you know, what are they really like uh, in this customer, you know, customer environment. For BDRs, what we do uh, is we do a written assignment uh, and then we do an objection handling sometimes, but it's, you know, pretty simple. It's like, you know, are you going to research ahead? Do you kind of understand what our value proposition is? Can you find something interesting about me that ties to your, you know, to your solution? Um, and so to me, that's what filtered is, but it's on the technical side. Uh, and yeah. So what we do is we, you know, we have a, a job simulation platform. So it allows companies, you know, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Redfin, Rocket Mortgage are all customers. And what they're uh, able to do now is that they, you know, they, they bring in technical candidates and they can present them with uh, an environment that is, uh, is identical to the environment that they would have if they joined the company. 
Uh, and then it's all recorded similar to Gong, right? So you can see live, uh, you know, the live coding. And then uh, uh, candidates have an opportunity to explain why they made certain choices, you know, with, within this. So it's a, it's a true job simulation. It's not like a take-home uh, technical test. It's not like an SAT test that you can cheat on now with, uh, you know, like chat GPT. I mean, it's a true job simulation. So just, just the concept of the company is just, it's mind-blowing to me. And it's, it's, again, it's near and dear to my philosophy on hiring. Yeah, and, and let's be honest. That's a big TAM, dude. Like that's a huge total addressable market you're going after. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's another. That's another thing is that I. I feel like there's a ton of potential for uh, for this company. Absolutely. Hundred percent. That's great. Um, all right. So last two questions, Rocky. Um, first one is we ask every every guest this. We we like them to highlight one skill that has made you elite in sales. What, what's your What's your superpower? Uh, you know, my dad would say this, that I just, I don't give up. <laughs> uh, you know, since I was a little kid, you know, if, uh, if I was in a, in an argument or a fight, you know, like I'm, I'm not giving up until you tap me, tap me out. <laughs> so, um, I would say that's the biggest thing, right? It's just, it's, it's, uh, I tend not to give up if I really want to accomplish something and, and that has downsides. It's not like it's hundred percent perfect every time. There's certainly times when I should just not continue to pursue something. <laughs> uh, but I would say that that's that's helped me a lot in my career is to just kind of break through barriers and to be creative uh, to accomplish something. So I would say that's that's definitely got to be it. I, I, I think I, I'm, we're very similar in that. I always tell people you've heard of SaaS, software as a service. You, you, when you buy JR, you get tenacity as a service. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, last one. So. Rocky, my dad was a high school hockey coach for like 30 years. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And me and my brothers were little. He used to always say to us, there's a lot of people that play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players. And 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 really what he was teaching us was this idea of professionalism, right? And like, you know, really like getting getting uh, getting something in your bones and like making it who you are. And, and I always, when I talk about great salespeople that I've worked with, that have worked for me, I always think the highest praise you can give someone is, hey, they're a professional, they're a pro. What is that? What does being a pro in sales mean to you? Yeah, being a pro in sales means to me, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a couple of things. So, I mean, well, number one is, I would say, you know, uh, uh, strength and fundamentals. You know, I, I've never met you know, a quote unquote pro, you know, pro salesperson that doesn't exercise fundamentals on a daily basis. Uh, and that's, you know, meeting, uh, you know, setting, setting agendas at meetings. It's like never leaving a meeting without scheduling the next meeting. Uh, it's things like, uh, you know, summarizing what we've learned. I mean, there's, there's just some characteristics. You know, the best salespeople are, you know, at the end of the meeting, everyone knows what their next steps are. We actually have another, another meeting scheduled. Uh, and then there's an email that comes out that day that outlines all those things and gets agreement from everyone that, hey, this is what we talked about, right? And, you know, here's what we're going towards, right? So fundamentals is incredibly important. Uh, and then my other other one that I really care a lot about is uh, what I call the idea of being the quarterback uh, of of an opportunity. And I would say this this applies regardless of you know if it's a small uh, SMB deal all the way up to the largest enterprise deals. Uh, you, you really have to understand that you know uh, it's a team sport. And what I mean by that is a team on both sides. The customer is part of your team, and and, and your uh, your company is part of your team. Uh, and the best salespeople that I know, they know how to utilize resources around them to uh, push projects forward. So that might be bringing your sales manager in uh, to help you with a negotiation. Not necessarily because you can't do it, but because it shows to the customer like, hey, we really care about your business, right? Or, you know, there's a strategy behind that. Maybe the, the sales manager uh, is going to say uh, that they can't do something and then you're going to go and, 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 uh, and then accomplish it for them. So there's, you know, there's some strategy behind that. 
That could be bringing in, uh, you know, VP of product for a midsize or a large, larger opportunity to, to signal, hey, we're open to your suggestions. Or maybe talk about the roadmap and how the roadmap aligns with them philosophically. So uh, to me, it's really about, you know, kind of being in the center of that chaos, but being able to pick and pull and make sure that uh, you're bringing the right resources to the table. On the prospect side, it could be that, you know, the CFO needs to be involved earlier than maybe your uh, your champion thinks is right. Um, but because you know the sales process, because you've sold your product more than they've ever <laughs> sold your product, you can tell them honestly, like, hey, you know, I've been through this scenario, you know, six times recently. And if the CFO is not involved early, then we might be wasting our time here. So it's probably better for us to figure this out now than it is to wait, you know, three months. So, uh, and that's kind of what I mean is just, you know, understanding, you know, and being that quarterback on both sides uh, and pulling in the right resources, um, you know, throughout the sales process. Shockingly, nobody has ever said fundamentals and I could not agree more, right? It's like, you know, Michael Jordan isn't Michael Jordan without like literally being able to, to, to dribble like he can breathe. So like, that's such a good answer, Rocky. Dude, this was an awesome conversation. Another, another hashtag required listening for our candidates, Rocky. Thank you so much for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it, Jared. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, as always, it's great chatting with you. Thank you. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.